Amen. Well, good morning. I want to say a particular welcome to those of you who are new here. My name is Alex, and I'm one of the pastors here, and we are just delighted. If you're joining us for the very first time, whether you are in person or online, thank you so much for being a part of things here uh, on a uh, slightly gray, slightly cooler Sunday morning. We are thrilled that you're joining us. Uh, what we are all about, if you're new, is really simple. It's all about making connections, connecting people to God connecting people to each other so together we can engage our world for good. We have experienced a little bit of all those things here this morning. This is week two of a series called Inner Strength, Building a Resilient Core in a, in a culture and a world that is more clinically anxious and depressed than ever before. Wouldn't it be great to be more resilient? Wouldn't it be great just to feel like I'm stronger, I'm navigating the challenges of my life in a way that feels a little less weighed down, a little less mowed over, a little bit more like, yeah, I'm kind of moving forward in a way that feels stronger. That would be a great gift to you and to everyone around you. So we're doing the six-week series, kind of drilling into what does it mean for us to build a, a resilient character, a resilient core. And if you missed last week, we said, hey, the way that resiliency comes about is not through circumstances all lining up exactly the way you want them to, right? It turns out that resiliency requires two Pretty resilient decisions. One is that we do the internal world work of attitudes, beliefs, kind of thought life. That we sort of do this work inside of ourselves. And we were talking about this for the first couple of weeks. And then the second part of this work is that we cultivate a, a relationship network. People that help us to contribute to our, our resiliency. Don't detract from our resiliency to become the most resilient version of you. You've had people in your life that have not brought out the best side of you. Even people that you liked that you wanted to hang out with, that aren't, weren't always the healthiest for you. So what does it mean for us to be a church, a community of people that are contributing to us becoming this resilient version of each other? So that's what we're going to talk about, sort of the back half of this series. But we're starting out by talking about the voices in your head. That internal world work. And, and if that doesn't really resonate with you, kind of the, the thing about like the thought patterns, the processes. Like if your brain is like a field, you've worn paths that you've come back to over and over and over again. And sometimes those have been very helpful to navigate challenges or help you to step up in, a, in the face of a kind of a challenge or some sort of thing that you didn't think you could do or a crisis. And sometimes those voices in your head have undermined you, have kept you from becoming the man or woman God designed you to be. In one of Jesus' most famous statements, he's, he declares this, that if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is kind of the mantra for the whole series. The truth is what sets us free. Free to be kind of who God made us to be, free to be the most resilient version of you, free to be at peace, free to have joy, free to be a man or woman that is walking with God the way that God designed us to. So if it's a truth that sets us free, then the inverse is also true, that lies diminish you, weaken you, and trap you. When lies are running your life, lies will ruin your life. So what happens when you have an internal dialogue that's on repeat over and over and over again that's actually repeating lies? It's actually repeating things that aren't true about yourself, about the world, about people around you. What happens when the internal dialogue is caught up in all kinds of lies? You can become so wrapped up in lies, you don't even realize that you're living by lies. So one of the core works of spiritual formation, spiritual growth, becoming sort of a resilient man or woman that God designed you to be is to surface some of these core lies that are in operation, some so quiet, so operating in the background, you're so used to them, you don't even realize that you've been living by them, to surface them and speak the truth to them because it's the truth that sets us free. Last week, we talked about the core lie of performance. You are how you perform. Your worth or your value is all bound up in, how, in your accomplishments. This week, we're talking about the core lie of accumulation. Accumulation, it says this, I am what I have. My value and my security are found in things, in stuff. Now, 
This is like, hey, by having the right clothes, living in the right neighborhood, driving the right car, having the right props around me, I am valuable, I am safe, I'm secure. That could be, and that could be stuff, that could be cars, that could also be titles or letters after your name. This is what makes me valuable, safe, or secure. Now, if you have lived in the United States of America for longer than five minutes, this is the core lie that is in the air from start to finish. This is the core lie that you were, you were born into and has been shaping you from the first time you ever turned on the television as a kid, from the first time you ever walked through a mall, from the first time you ever went to, any, went to any kind of school or on social media news feed. This is the core lie that's sort of all over the place. It's a little bit like a moving walkway. Now, first off, our moving walkway is awesome. Yeah, they are. So because you're going to the airport, right? And you go to the airport and your terminal is always the furthest possible terminal away. Amen? Doesn't matter where you're going, doesn't matter where you're flying, it's always the furthest possible terminal away. And if you have children, they are already melting down before you got out of the car, right? So you're carrying the My Little Pony backpack and then like the unicorn like blankie with all your stuff to the furthest possible terminal away, hurting your children, i.e. the cats, trying to keep them moving in the right direction while everyone stares at you glaringly. Because your children are your children. This is how they are, right? And so you're kind of, you're lumbering down to the furthest possible terminal, trying to keep your kids from, like, yelling and shouting at each other and bumping into random strangers. And behold, a moving walkway. If you can just get the cats onto the moving walkway and the junk on the moving walkway, you will have a reprieve for, like, 100 yards. And so you get there and you get the kids and you kind of ignore the fact that they're annoying everyone else on the moving walkway by running up and down the moving walkway, which they do. And you got the stuff, and you're like, thank goodness for the moving walkway. And then you look up, and you realize the moving walkway is taking you the exact wrong direction. And your heart sinks. And this thing that was such a gift to you 30 seconds ago is now actually making life worse and worse because you're standing on this thing that is carrying you the wrong direction. This is the moving walkway when it comes to the core lie of accumulation of stuff that you're born into in the United States of America. It will just carry you in the wrong direction if you don't pay attention to it. If you're not awake to it, if you're not alive to it, it will undermine your joy. It will make you weaker because it's a lie. Now, I, I love this country. I love America. It's like, it's not a bashing America. Like, my dad was in the military. Like, I, 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 love, I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. But every culture has its own favorite pet sins. This is ours. Everything from when you watch HGTV to the Buy It Now button on Amazon. We are clinically one of the most depressed and anxious cultures in, America, in the world, in history, right? All this anxiety, all this depression. So we've invented a new kind of therapy. Maybe you've heard of this kind of therapy called retail therapy. By retail therapy, you buy things to make yourself feel better. But my friends, if that worked, if it actually worked, we would be the happiest people ever because we got more stuff than anybody ever in human history. Retail therapy isn't fixing the problem, is it? Because it's built on the lie that by accumulating more stuff, you're going to fix all your problems, that your value, your worth, your security, your safety is to be found in the things. And the truth will set you free. So today, we're going to talk about dealing with this core lie of accumulation. And this beautiful little parable that Jesus tells us, that Ernie just read for us so beautifully. And the, the parable starts out with this man asking Jesus to help him out with a problem. The man, Jesus takes you to a crowd, and the man spe speaks out to Jesus and says, Hey, can you solve this family dispute? Teacher. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with 
me. Now, that's not unusual for a rabbi to help navigate challenges or problems, to speak in or weigh in or, or you know, kind of help contribute to a problem. But, my friends, have you ever been up close to someone else's family drama and problems said, thank goodness I'm not in that drama, that family? This is exactly what Jesus says. A lot of family, a lot of drama. And Jesus says, no thanks, I don't want any part of that family drama. Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between the two y'all? Don't anything to do with it. And here's a little quick application for some of you who are very gifted, very generous, and sometimes tend to overfunction. Just because you're good at solving problems and helping people doesn't mean every problem is yours to solve and every person is yours to help. Just because you're good at solving problems and helping people which is a great gift. Doesn't mean every problem is yours to solve. Doesn't mean every person is yours to help. Jesus says, no thanks. I'll pass on this one. If Jesus didn't take on every problem and every person, neither should you. Merry Christmas, my friends. In August, Santa came early. You are free from carrying all the burdens of the world. Even Jesus said, I'm tagging out of this one. Jesus then turns to the crowd, and he says maybe the most un-American thing he could have possibly ever said. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Three phrases that speak the truth that will set us free if we'll pay attention to them. First one, watch out. Like this is sort of ancient, like, like the wording here is like you're under attack. It's like if you had a friend who's being kind of a, a lion or a tiger or a bear or a yeti was about to pounce, watch out, right? Look away, be careful. Then be on your guard against all kinds of greed. What kinds of greed? What kind? How many different kinds of greed are there? Oh, so many kinds of greed. You can be greedy for social media friends. You can be greedy for platform, approval, applause, more and more applause, or the applause of just the right kinds of people. You can be greedy for someone else's time, someone else's attention. You can be greedy for your own time. You can be greedy for your own attention. You can be greedy for the promotion. You can be greedy for your kids to get the promotion, for your kids to get the platform, for your kids to be noticed. We can be greedy in almost an infinite number of ways. We are gifted at being greedy. All kinds of greed. And of course, there's the greed for money and for accumulation of stuff, which Jesus is going to drill down into. But my friends, there are all kinds of greed. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. In fact, greed is one of the most talked about sins in the Bible that we don't talk enough about. We rarely talk about it. A, a couple decades later, the Apostle Paul is going to be writing a letter to the Colossians. And he's going to say, here's what it means to be a Christian. Among what it looks like to be a Christian, what it means to follow Jesus is this. Put to death Greed, which is idolatry. Idolatry. Greed is idolatry. Greed is sort of saying this is the most important thing. Now, let's talk about what idolatry is, all right? Idolatry is not necessarily just sort of, oh, here's a wood, an idol, and I kind of bow down to this golden stone, although that was in play in some cultures. Idolatry, here's, here's our armchair definition of idolatry. Idolatry is taking a good thing, even like wooden stone, making it an ultimate thing, or attempting to make it an ultimate thing, which is a lie and therefore always leads to disastrous things including us becoming less than we were made to be things. Idolatry, taking a good thing, applause, approval, money, accomplishments, trying to make it an ultimate thing. When you exchange the ultimate thing, which is God, for a lie, disastrous things happen. Things don't happen well. You are out of alignment with how the universe is designed to work, which always leads to have some sort of consequences, even if temporarily it kind of works for you for a little while. 
and one of the disastrous things that happens is you become a less than you were made to be kind of a thing. You become less human because you become like whatever you worship. That's like a biblical principle. It's a spiritual principle. You become like whatever you worship. You become like whatever you set your heart and your mind on, right? Whatever you make the ultimate thing, that shapes you. And it misshapes us if we try to make it wood, stone. If we try to make it money, stuff, applause, approval, even beautiful things like our families and our kids, those things will misshape us, make us less than we were made to be things. We attempt to make them ultimate things. And so Jesus says, listen, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, which is idolatry. When you exchange the truth of God for a lie, lies always weaken us, trap us, trap us, diminish us. Jesus is speaking the truth. The truth sets us Free And he lands his last phrase there as he's talking to this crowd with a phrase that you won't hear anywhere else. This last phrase, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Would you read that with me? Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. One more time with feelings. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. This is the truth that sets you free. And hear me, no one else is going to tell you this this week. No one else is going to tell you this this week, so you got to pay attention. Got to be awake. No one else is going to tell you that your life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. In fact, everyone around us and around you, even unintentionally, are going to reinforce the lie, the moving walkway, that your life, your value, your worth, your safety, your security consists in stockpiling and accumulating as much stuff as you possibly can. My friends, for those of us who know this is a thing for us, that we struggle with this, you should memorize this little phrase. Even if you never, if you never memorized anything else, else in the whole Bible, this might be the, the truth that sets you free. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now, Jesus proceeds to tell that great parable that Ernie read earlier, and here's how the parable kind of unfolds. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store all my crops. In the, uh, sometime in the mid-1980s, uh, a pair of Dallas Cowboys retired football players went to a group of investors, and they, they pitched an idea. And the, uh, the business idea was uh, not something that they invented, but they wanted to popularize. And the business idea that they pitched to this group of investors is, what if we created a space where people could store their stuff away from their homes, under lock and key, and keep it safe? And they would rent, and they would pay money to store the stuff that won't fit in their houses. And the first group of investors they pitched this to laughed them off the stage. Who's going to pay money to put their stuff? Who has that much stuff? And who's going to pay money to rent a locker miles away for their stuff? Forty years later, the self-storage industry business, 38 billion dollar industry with a B. That is almost three times what Hollywood makes in a year. To store all our extra stuff. First world problems, right? Too much stuff. We're going to put it all. As Jesus launches into the parable, he's talking about someone who's got too much stuff. And he gives us a few key details that I want to drill down into because they're so critical. The first one is this. A certain rich man. So this happens to a guy who already has plenty of money, right? Now, if you are, if you're someone who struggled financially, right, you struggled financially, you hate this. Because the rich guys always seem to get the, the, better, the better harvest, right? Why is it the people who already have plenty seem to get more? 
Why does that seem to happen so consistently? Like, we don't get the answer to that, but it's an important part of the story that this guy already has plenty. He's already rich. He's already wealthy, which isn't to say that it's only rich people who struggle with greed, right? Greed is an equal opportunity employer. You can be poor, you can be working class, be middle class, you can be freakishly wealthy, and you can be a victim or you can be a, a sort of tempted by all kinds of greed. Jesus continues to unpack some beautiful little details. A, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So who or what yielded the harvest? Who yielded the harvest? What yielded the harvest? The ground did. The ground did. It's not to say that the farmer didn't work hard. It's not to say that the farmer didn't do blood, sweat, tears, especially in the first century, right? No pesticides. No pop-up sprinkler systems. It's a lot of work to be a farmer. He's hustling. But here's the thing. You can hustle and not have an abundant harvest, right? You can pour the same amount of work, same amount of time, same amount of effort. The harvest is mid one year, poor the next year, fantastic the third year. There's always mystery behind the harvest, isn't there? Always things outside of your control. Always things that you can't manufacture. Always things that you can't manipulate to make certain outcomes happen, even if you would like for them to. You can do the same amount of work. And the, my friends, the corollary is true, true in the 21st century, no matter what you're doing. You can do all the right things in your career. You can do all the right things for your business. You can do all the right things for your investments. You can do all the right things with your kids. You can do all the right things in your relationships. And there will always be factors outside of your control that you cannot predict what the harvest is going to be. You can't manufacture it. You can't control it. There are always elements that are outside of your ability to control. The ground yields the harvest even as the farmer works. So here's the question. When you get Something, something great happens. Whether it's an abundant harvest, something great, you get a great return on business or uh, a relationship or whatever. When you have an abundant harvest or even just enough, even just enough or a little bit more, you're going to come to a fork in the road that I'm going to very poetically call the stuff fork. Here's the stuff fork. You ready? I got this or God gave this. That's the stuff fork. Right? You got the stuff. What are you going to do with it? Is your attitude toward the stuff, I got this, I worked hard for this, I've earned this, I've produced this, or even it's come to me and now it's mine to do whatever I want to with it, right? I have full authority, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. Or is your attitude, God gave this. Even if I worked freakishly hard for it, there is mystery on return. There is mystery on abundance. There, there's mystery on provision. There are things outside my control that God in his mercy has taken control of and poured out grace and abundance. Therefore, if it's a gift, I am not free to do whatever I want to with it. I'm a steward of this gift. And I will be held responsible. I will be held responsible for the Lord my God for how I steward this gift, this moment, this abundance. I got this or God gave this. Those are Two very, very different kind of thought processes. They're very, very different ways to process what happens when you get abundance, when you get lots of things coming your way, or even just when you have some sort of simple gift. And one of those reveals that you're trapped in the lie we're talking about today, that your life, your value, your worth, your safety is all about what you can accumulate. The other one tells you if you're free, can I hold loosely what God has given? Now, one of the ways you know how that sounds is Going back to how we open with is how do the voices in your head sound? 
And what Jesus does in this parable is give us an insight. He tells us what the voices in this man's head sound like. And it comes down to what all of us who love literature, all of us like English major nerds thought it would sound like. It all comes down to nouns and pronouns. Amen? If you're a book person, if you're a book nerd, you always knew it would come down to nouns and pronouns. Here it is. Here are the nouns and pronouns. Watch the nouns and pronouns here as we look at this man's thought life that reveals he's stuck in the accumulation lie. The man thought to himself, self, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to my awesome self, you got plenty of grain to build up for many years, laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. What are the nouns and pronouns here? The nouns and pronouns are me, myself, and I, which was a great pop song in the 90s. Not a great way to live a life. Me, myself, and I. Entirely referential. There is no thought, no prayer to the God who gives generously. God, you've given me this great gift. What do you want me to do with it? God, you've given me this great abundance. How do you want me to steward it? The stuff fork. I got this or God gave this. Two very different ways to approach life. One of them gets all tangled up in the, in the core lie that will only weaken you, trap you, and diminish you. God gave this is the truth that sets you free. Free from the trap of stuff. Free to be resilient and at peace. Free to be generous. Free to be joyful. Free to hold loosely to the stuff and to cling tightly to the God who is good. Is your first response to stuff, what shall I do with my stuff to take care of me? Or is your first response to the stuff, God, thank you for the stuff. I hold it loosely before you and I trust the same good God that gave me the stuff goes with me to take care of me, even if I have to give the stuff away. That's the challenge of this passage. And the man lands in a very American place. He's a first century Jew, but he lands in a very, very American place. Here's his response. Here's his answer. Here's his answer to the conundrum of I've got too much stuff. Isn't this such a great line? Build bigger barns. Amen? <laughs> Build bigger barns. What do you do when you've got too much stuff? Build bigger barns. Right? That is the moving walkway of consumption. If my life is all about accumulation and consumption, what do I do when I've got too much stuff? Build bigger barns. Barns. It's just the next thought. Uh, I've been a Sprint cell phone customer for like 20 years, like forever. And about a year ago, T-Mobile bought them out. So T-Mobile bought out Sprint, and uh, about a month, two months ago, my, my account got migrated from a Sprint customer account to a T-Mobile customer account, which of course means there's problems. And there's stuff, and I can't get into my online account. And so, so I'm like, okay, I got to call T-Mobile. So I block off half my Saturday. To, uh, to change my T-Mobile account because I know it's going to take all day. So I call T-Mobile. Now, to their credit, I was only on hold for a couple minutes, and the woman I talked to did not sound like she was being held hostage at gunpoint to talk to me on the phone. And she was actually very helpful. We worked out my account migration issues, that kind of thing. And then she said to me, now that you're a T-Mobile customer, you get a new iPhone every two years, and you have had yours for five years. And then she popped the question. Well, not the question, but a subset of the question. Do you want a new free iPhone? Has anyone ever said no to that in human history? It's like, do you want more bacon? Of course, yes. 
I didn't pray about it. I didn't think about it. I didn't fast and seek the Lord. I was like, of course, I want the new iPhone. If I get it for free, of course I do. Build bigger barns. Give me the new iPhone. 100%, not even thinking about it. It's just the next thing. Now, I got to say, I'm loving the new iPhone. It's been nice. But here's what this man thinks is going to come about through his work of build bigger barns. You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat. Drink. Be merry. Oh, my friends. Life is so uncertain, isn't it? So many variables. So many threats. Some of you have been through some really, really hard stuff. Some of you grew up in really hard situations. And man, what can I do to insulate myself from all the threats out there? Stockpile more stuff. Money grain, whatever it is for you. That's what's going to keep you safe, right? There's a, and there's a, there's a lie that kind of gets attached to this accumulation lie, which is control. How do I know I'm going to have control? How do, you know, how do I know that I'm going to be safe and in control? Well, I stockpile more stuff. That's how I know I'm going to be all right. But my friends, what if it's not about that? What if that's just a lie that's actually weakening you? trapping you, and diminishing you? What if there's a bigger truth, a truth that will set you free? Now, to be clear, this is not a parable against saving up for retirement, right? So listen, just to to make sure, right? Saving up for retirement, super wise, super great, super intelligent, please, save for retirement. It's not against sort of uh, putting, having a savings account for like a rainy day fund, right? Rainy day funds, super intelligent, super smart, please, save for things you never know when the roof's gonna cave in or you're gonna drop your phone in the toilet and need a new one before the two-year renewal one, right? You never know what's going to happen. So yeah, have the rainy day funds. Have the retirement funds. 100% important. But it's a different thing to be a steward of God's money than it is to say, I got this. How do I manipulate my circumstances to take care of me, myself, and myself as best I possibly can? See, God gives us great gifts all the time. All the time God gives us great gifts. And if the Lord gives you sort of a, a surprise amount of money, absolutely. Maybe it's a gift for you to put in the savings account and, and, and store away. And maybe God knows next week your car's going to explode and you need that money. He's taking care of you already. God pre-takes care of his people all the time. It's a great gift. Or maybe God's given you this unexpected amount of money so you have something to give away to someone else. Maybe that's why he gave you the money in the first place. You won't know until you ask open-handedly, God, who is this money for? God, what's this gift for? Is it for me? Or is it for someone else? See, the problem is not build bigger barns. The problem is building bigger barns without any prayer or thought as to whether or not that's why the Lord gave you the stuff to begin with. That's the problem, right? Not just build bigger barns. The problem is, is there any part of you that's going before the Lord and saying, why did you give me this stuff? Thank you for it. Is it for me? Is it for someone else? There's something else you want me to do with it, not just for me. Now, the fragileness of all this is what Jesus pivots to as he makes a turn in the story, this little parable he's telling. Now, this is a really interesting parable because Jesus is always telling parables about God and God's kingdom, but God almost never makes an appearance. Like, this is one of the very few stories, parables, where God himself sort of speaks as a part of the parable. So here's how God speaks in this parable, and it's not especially pleasant for the uh, rich farmer. God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for who? For yourself. This is how it will be. Whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. See, Jesus exposes the lie 
build bigger barns looks resilient, doesn't it? Looks strong, looks safe, <laughs> but it turns out so very fragile. Even no matter how big your barns are, no matter how much is stored, there's only one person in the cosmos who knows how many days you've got left. It's the Lord. And building bigger barns to be safe in this life might actually be the thing that undermines you for all eternity. Because the thing that matters, the thing that counts, the only thing that you can take with you is being rich toward God. That's the only thing that you carry with you into eternity. And so Jesus says, I want you to exchange the lie of my safety, my security, my identity, my value, my worth, isn't all my stuff, with cultivating a life that is rich toward God. What's the truth that sets you free? The resilient decision. The resilient decision to replace the lie of accumulation with being rich towards God. Now, what I want to invite us to do is I want to invite us into a little bit of sort of prayer work as we kind of step into this. Because, man, we're, we're on the moving walkway here in the United States of America. We got Buy Now and HDTV and all, all the stuff coming at us. And there's so many ways that this lie has been spoken to us that we can't help but absorb some of it. We can't help but absorb pieces of it. That, man, and greed, kind of the, and the enticement, the entanglement of greed comes at us in all these different ways. And so what I want to do for today's wildly important take home is I want to walk you through just some, some steps you might walk through if, if and when you have a sense that I know I'm being kind of lured in by the lie that I am what I have. And so today's wildly important take home is to exchange sort of the lie of accumulation with uh, being rich toward God. So we're going to walk through what a prayer uh, process might look like for you to be set free from this lie. And it starts with this, starts with confession. The confession is I have fallen for these kinds of greed. All kinds of greed, right? I have fallen for these kinds of greed. So if you want to be free from a lie, you got to be, you got to have to surface it. You have to kind of be willing to acknowledge it or admit it. Hey, here's the thing I've wrestled with. Here's the ways that I've been greedy. Again, it could be uh, for yourself. It could be for your titles. It could be for promotion. It could be for your kids. It could be a, for a family member. It could be for someone else's time. All kinds of greed. So we're confessing to God, yep, I've fallen for that kind of a greed. I fell for it. Now, it's really important because some of us grew up in places where confession felt like piling on. Listen, confession is never about piling on shame and guilt. It's about unpiling the gunk that keeps us trapped. It's about unpiling. It's about taking things off. Not confession, never about guilt and shame. Confession, never about guilt and shame. Confession, never, ever, ever about guilt and shame. Confession is about unpiling the things that are on us that we might be set free. So we're confessing, hey, here's a place that I've fallen for grief. And then, secondly, uh, a prayer. I renounce the lies that I believed about accumulation. I renounce these lies that I believed about accumulation. Renouncing is a, a, a strong language, but when you believe a lie and when you practice a lie, you make a pact with a lie. You have an alliance with a lie. You've built your life around a lie. It's really important that you break those alliances, that you sort of, hey, listen, I have given over real estate, my heart, my mind, imagination, to a lie. I want to renounce that lie. I want to break that pact. I want to be set free from the gunk that is tripping me up, that spiritually clogs me up. And there's a number of ways this could look or sound. Like, this could, like I renounce the lie that stuff is what gives me value or worth. I renounce the lie that by acquisition and accumulation, I can be in control. I renounce the lie that I need to be in control to be safe and taken care of. That's a, sort of a subset of this, but it's an important one for some of you, right? I'm renouncing these lies. I don't believe these anymore. Now, obviously, we know that we'll be tempted to come back into them, but it's an important thing to be able to name. We're renouncing these lies. That's simple, holy, homemaking kind of work that makes you more resilient and more free from the lies 
And then finally, the tr- this is the truth that sets me free. Freedom is found in being rich toward God. Freedom is found in being rich toward God. This is the truth that sets you free. Freedom is found in being rich toward God. That might sound like something like this. <laughs> Man, my worth comes from you, God, not from what I have. I'm made in your image, purchased by the blood of Christ, full of the Holy Spirit. I'm a child of God. That's what gives me value. That's what makes me worth. That's where my identity is, my security is. All my days, all my stuff are in your hands. Like a, a, a Surrender and release. Do whatever you want to, right? Do whatever you want to with it. Let me steward, not control each one. In faith, hope, love, wisdom, courage, all those things. God is giving those to you. This is the scaffolding of a prayer that I want to invite us to pray together. Confession. Here's the greed I kind of am tempted to believe or fall into. Renouncing lies. Like, hey, I know I believe this lie. I know I believe the lie that accumulating more and more, whatever that is, whatever is in that blank, is a thing that I know I've looked to to try to satisfy that hole in my heart and to seek after. And then the truth that sets me free is that freedom is bound to being rich toward God and just kind of rehearsing and remembering what is true in the scriptures. So we're going to move now to a time of prayer. Well, I'm just going to walk us through these prompts. I'm going to invite you. I'm going to pause along the way, just silently before the Lord, just, before, just between you and the Lord, just to do whatever work you need to with the Lord, to, um, to confess the lies you believe, the, the greed that you've kind of fallen for, you, to, to renounce, the, to break the kind of the, the ways you've been entangled up with different kinds of lies, and then also to ask the Lord to set you free by being rich toward God and sort of pressing into that. So we're going to move now to a time of prayer and invite you to pray with me. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for speaking the truth that sets us free. That life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And Lord, all around us, we're hearing voices tell us the exact opposite. And so we come to you and we long to have our lives built around the truth that sets us free. But Lord, we also struggle with this. And we also recognize that we've fallen for these lies. And so Lord, we start with confession. Lord, we confess, I confess, I have fallen for these kinds of greed. These kinds of voices that have invited me to build my life by accumulating more and more and more. Take a minute before the Lord just to acknowledge wherever you have struggled against or fallen for the lies of greed. And Lord, the voices that cry out that hey, we'll be better off if we just have more and more stuff, more and more props. If we look a little bit more like this, a little more like that, those lies are powerful, and we have practiced them. We've leaned into them. We've given them territory. We've given them space in our hearts and our minds and imaginations. They've captured us in really deep ways for some of us. And so, Lord, we renounce the lie. We renounce the lie that we believed about accumulation. We renounce the lie that stuff gives us value or worth. We renounce the lie that stockpiling or acquisition can keep us in control we renounce the lie that I, we need to be in control, be safe and taken care of. Take a beat to renounce whatever lie that you know you've gotten tangled up in. And now, Lord Jesus, we want to replace those lies with the truth. That freedom is found in being rich towards God. We declare that our lives are in your hands, that we've been bought by the blood of Christ, that we've been given the spirit, that we are children of the most high God. We declare that everything we have is a gift from you and we just release it into your hands. We, we don't want to hold on tightly to our stuff. We want to hold on tightly to the God who is Lord over our stuff. 
all our days, all our stuff, all in your hands. Let us steward, not control, each one in faith, hope, love, and open-handedly. Pray a prayer that would help you to lean into being rich toward God. Lord Jesus, in your kindness, you have told us this parable and you've spoken the truth that will set us free. I pray that our hearts and our spirits and our minds would leave here lighter, freer, to walk out of here less bound up in lies and more set free to live resiliently in the truth of your majestic, rich love. We pray in Jesus' strong and mighty name. Amen, amen, 